0: Welcome again to Rogue Table Talk, number 12. Uh, we are here exploring uh, the, the book of Judges still. We're coming towards the end of it. When I say we, it's myself uh, and producer Jacob. Jacob Shuttles here. Uh, myself, Mike Sherman, uh, Chad is away on vacation. Uh, so, well wishes to him. Hopefully he's resting well and uh, enjoying him uh, creation and his family and uh, enjoying himself in, in his time away. Uh, what we're going to do here is similar to what we've done in the, in the past with these. If you've, if you've listened to a few of them, we're going to start with the weekend teaching of Calvary as a, as a jumping off point, and then we're probably going to go from there to dis- different issues of culture and theology and, and life and, and, and other things. And, uh, and so we are in Judges, uh, as we've said, uh, which means Israel is in the promised land, but it, it is not all going uh, the way it was intended uh, and is all Israel has only themselves uh, to blame they're in this place uh, in God's redemptive history where God had a, a purpose and intention for them and they were not they were not living it out well um, and you know if you want to go back and, and maybe listen even to the first overview of of uh, the first podcast which overviewed judges uh, a number of podcasts ago and if you're looking for a background if you're just picking up that might be a uh, a place to give you some more background, but you don't have to. Uh, what we see in the book of Judges, we see here again in the story we're going to look at, in the story of Jephthah uh, in Judges 10 and 11 uh, and 12, I think, is there's a cycle of uh, there's peace, uh, then there's disobedience, so people wander from God, they 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 grow to be in bondage then from some uh, typically outside force, they cry, cry out, God has raised, raises up a judge and delivers them. There's peace again, and then disobedience, the cycle repeats. And the cycle has descended. Uh, it's gotten worse, and sometimes the, the peace part is, is almost um, non-existent. We saw that last, last time in the story of uh, Abimelech, and last week in the story of Abimelech, they didn't even efface an external oppressor. They were their, their own enemy. And we'll see some more of the same in this story of of Jephthah as the cycle descends. So let me just kind of start it off, Judges 10, starting in verse 8. And I'll just, probably this might be the only part of the story that I read, and we're just going to sort of set off the the cycle here. Uh, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a, a repeated refrain in the book of Judges. They served the Baals and the Ashtareths and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. So that's a lot more gods than they've had in the past. So they're basically now indistinguishable from the people around them. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, and here it deviates from the cycle somewhat, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, and the Melchites and the Moabites oppressed you, and you cried out to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and served the Lord. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So again, the cycle starts, but it's worse. God's anger here is explicitly mentioned. That's a, a new element in the in the cycle. Um, as is the fact that the Israelites were shattered and crushed by their enemies, and again that they had even taken another step down and been completely like they worshipped all the other gods uh, of, of all the people around them. They were just indistinguishable from the people around them. Um, And this time they cry out, they confess, they've forsaken God, worship the Baals. And God says, listen, you've made your choice. Again and again, you continue to choose these other gods. And so I'm going to let you have them, cry out to them. Let's see if they can save you. Uh, And again, I think we see this principle that God will let us be adults and experience the consequences of our choices. And that that's not incompatible with grace, that grace doesn't mean that we're little children, that we're toddlers whose choices don't matter, that the choices we make matter, and we will sometimes be allowed to have what we keep on choosing. Uh, And here, and I think there's this only if it's to teach us that these lesser gods can't save us. Let's see what these other gods can do for you uh, and here, again, Israel is not only forsaking God to worship Baal, but every other God of all the people around them. And one of the things that I think we can, you know, the para- one of the parallels to us is that okay, we're, we don't set up idols. We don't have wooden poles or, you know, statues or incense or i mean probably we don't <laughs> don't know if you if you do or not but that's not we typically think other things will save us and the the idolatry parallel to us um is that we can worship all the same things that our culture worships like jacob's here what are some of the things our culture worships money money is the you know we're in america so one of the first things We worship is is money and in in that sense we can be indistinguishable from the people around us Uh, in terms of our money we can be exactly like people who don't have faith don't profess faith whatever and in a sense that's one of the reasons i think jesus talks about money so much in the new testament because it is a pretty effective rival god that we can trust in it we it can comfort us right yeah uh how
1: quick we are oh if i just had yeah x more then it'd be
0: fine then fill in the blank right i'd be happy i'd be fulfilled i'd feel safe i'd feel secure i wouldn't be anxious uh, all of these things that god wants us to come to him for we can put money in that same position and to more or less degrees we can put uh you know, financial uh, success up against professional advancement, uh, up against possessions, uh, up against image, zip code, house, car, the whole, that whole life, right? Yeah.
1: That, and that it is, in essence, the end goal is to solve a problem. Yeah. That I feel I have.
0: Solve a problem to get me what I want. Uh, it also serves what idols can do is they serve to identify us here in these you know we're looking from this perspective of thousands of years later and okay those are the people who worship the god of baal of you know those are the gods who worship the those are the people who worship the ashereth or whatever where it, it becomes an identifying mark you know as a people uh, and i definitely think that's you know there that's, there's areas in which our culture can worship money can worship professional advancement can worship sex can worship things that seem in the short term to promise the same sorts of things we can get from god and we are uh, often only too happy to and there are times perhaps when god says okay you've you've worked for those things you've wanted those things you have those things let's see how that works let's see if that actually brings you joy peace you know uh, if you are transformed into Christ-likeness, and, and of course we they won't be. Uh, and when God says that, again, he's saying it because uh, for a number of reasons that their choices do matter. He's going to treat them like adults. He's not going to be a helicopter parent. Uh, but he also wants them to learn that these other gods cannot do what You're hoping they do. And he wants us, when we read this story, to think about the same things. What, you know, this is not some abstract story from thousands of years ago that has nothing to to do with me, that what are my idols? That's a it's a a good question for us. You know, a lot of, there's a lot of idols in the Old Testament. And I think we're being invited to, what do I entrust with that? And some of it might not be bad stuff, right? Stuff that God wants for us to have as a secondary good, when we make it a primary good, it becomes a problem.
1: Absolutely. Like
0: children, like, you know, family, professional fulfillment. None of these things are bad things. We're not worshiping Molech, you know, necessarily. Right. Uh, But I think it was C.S. Lewis that said, if we let a second thing become a first thing, we not only lose the first thing because we've substituted the second thing for it, but the second thing doesn't work as a first thing. And so Mm -hmm. we lose the second thing also. It only works as a second thing. It can't work as a first thing. So whatever that thing is, do I have the first thing first? Do I have the second thing in in its right place? And that's where God wants us to be. And that's where finally Israel says, we've sinned. Do to us whatever you want. But They're saying... Don't leave us here, even if you want to punish us. Whatever you want to do with us, we feel better with you than with these people that are oppressing us and shattering us. And uh, it sounds desperate and um, extreme, but in a way, (laughs) it's exactly where we're supposed to be. Right, yeah. Right? I mean, it's... That's what we should be saying, but not out of desperation, but as our first choice, you know, do do with me what you would want me to do. Only don't leave me to these other gods, right. you know. Uh, and I think that's, it's only in desperation that they, they get to that point. Sometimes we can be the same way as well. And so they began to serve the Lord. Uh, and they began to even bear the fruits of repentance. Uh because they, you know, they weren't rescued when they cried out. Uh, they had to put away the other gods. They began to serve the Lord. Um, and this sense that they serve the Lord when all presence, all, you know, sort of positive reinforcement is gone. Where God has sort of said, okay, you're on your own. And they and they put away the gods and they begin to worship and follow him when there's no sense that he's really there. Um that's also something we can experience where in a sense that's what faith is that we don't get immediate positive reinforcement when we are serving the lord right Right. i mean you've probably been in situations jacob where you feel like i feel like i'm following and but i have no sense of god's presence i have no reassurance of his presence in this moment all the time yes yeah and we think i must some i must be missing something i must be doing something wrong well maybe you are missing something maybe you are doing something wrong or maybe god just wants you to be faithful and not have positive reinforcement every second right you know like you don't like you're a little kid you don't have to have your parents say good job good job good job every five seconds he wants us to get to a point where we're following and not necessarily needing that positive reinforcement right it's part
1: of rhythm that you that I've learned or that you've learned mm-hmm. versus like seeking just con- in a constant state of seeking approval
0: right yeah and that if I don't get it well something's wrong where maybe he just wants me to walk without it take a few steps few faltering steps without him holding my hand and he's happy with that he's happy even if I fall over uh, if I just get up and keep going yeah. Which is just a very uncomfortable place uh, to be. I think part of it is also like,
1: well, that's also, I think for me particularly, which I think is also a little more prevalent in cultures. Like, well, they're, I, I live in doubt. Mm-hmm. Like I can't possibly be doing this right. right. Or, yeah. you know, saying the right thing. L- the reality, m- maybe I am. Mm-hmm. And so I. Just, it's, it's a lack of actual even confidence and faith Mm -hmm. of christ in me that
0: i have learned but i doubt and question yeah yeah i mean that's what faith really is i think doubt may not be bad it might be causing me to question in such a way to say well i'm okay i'm reassured that i'm doing what i believe god is leading me to do um and that and faith has to be faith doesn't exist without some level of uncertainty um, I do feel like we th- we make doubt the opposite of faith when, and when really certainty is the opposite of faith, that with certainty, sure. I don't need any faith at all. Mm-hmm. Well, it's only with some level of uncertainty, with doubt, with I'm not sure that I need faith to say, God, you have to fill in the blanks. Yeah. You know, um, and so that's where the people are. Uh, they got rid of the foreign gods and it says he could bear Israel's misery no longer. And that's you know, one of the notes of grace in this, this story is that people can't mess up any more or any more consistently or any worse. And he, you know, the thing he wants to do is leave them and let them experience the fruits, uh, their consequences. And they begin to muddle forward and try to worship him. And it says, he, he can't, he can't, you know, he he his his the misery of God's people impacts him, even if it's completely deserved. That he weeps when we weep, even when we are the cause of our own weeping. Mm-hmm. That it's not we don't have to earn God's affection. He's bound himself to us. I think J.R. Packer uh, wrote that. I think in Knowing Knowing God, a book I read a long time ago, that in some mysterious way God has bound himself to us. That even when we cause our own pain he weeps with us even when we're completely to blame or if we're the innocent that he weeps with us because we're weeping he's bound himself to us you know jesus can stand outside of jerusalem and say jerusalem jerusalem how i would have drawn you together but you would not and this is the city that was just about to kill him like in a few days would have killed him and that that jesus knows that and he still weeps for them Mm -hmm. that you know they're completely to blame Uh, And I think we can kind of feel like, you know, I don't, I don't haven't earned anyone's affection or I've, I've so messed up that God can't, you know, love me or whatever. When that sort of, it's a cultural, that's a cult, another cultural thing where um, I can determine whether I'm lovable or not, where that God is telling you, he loves you, Mm -hmm. whether you feel like it, whatever you've done, whether other people think that he has bound himself to us as if you're God's uh, child, if you're a follower of his, he's bound himself to you because of his own promises, because of Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross. And that, that commitment goes through any possible mess up that I can have. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's what we see in this story because it, it keeps going down and getting worse. And yet God is true to his own promise. Yeah. uh, That, you know, whatever God plan had for, God, you know, a promised land and God following the law and people, the people following the law and worshiping him and being an example for the people around him and blah, 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 blah. Obviously that's not happening. It's not working. And yet God can stand their misery no longer. And he moves to intervene. Uh, and so they'll be delivered again.
1: Right. Well, and right from beginning to, to the end you, Jesus on the cross, forgive them right they know not what they do
0: right it's Mm -hmm. the common thread yes and i think that's hard for us to you know i think the the fact that i am responsible that i'm an adult that 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 my actions have consequences that i live a high stakes life somehow feels like there there's no grace in that but that's what grace that's where grace begins that as bad as you can mess things up, that grace is still there, that God is still there in his grace. It isn't that he can make all of your mess-ups go away. It's in all of your mess-ups. He can be gracious and be, be a presence. Uh, and that's, you know, he, we see this over and over again. He keeps rescuing his people. Uh, and so the, the people will be delivered. They need a leader. And they turn to, to Jephthah, from Gilead. Gilead is the land east of Jordan. Um, a couple of tribes of Israel were there when the land was apportioned up. I think Gad and Manasseh and maybe I think Reuben are part of Reuben. Um, and he's got a checkered history. He's got a history that reminds us a bit of Abimelech. And uh, he's shunned by his family. He's His mother's a prostitute. Um, and so he's, he's shunned and, you know, a bunch of, you know, uh, rough dudes gather around him, but that's who they call. And he says, yes, okay, I'll do it, but I need to, I'm not just going to rescue you. You, you know, uh, you shunned me. I'm not just going to rescue you. I also need to be your King. And they say, that's fine. Um, but at the same time, it's clear from the story is he's identified with God's people. He knows their history. And so he's gonna, he's gonna fight for them. And unlike the other, Judges, the other rescuers, it's not clear that God has raised him up necessarily. You know, we don't get that language that God found him and, like Gideon, God, the angel of the Lord meets him in the threshing floor or whatever. We don't get any of that. Uh, the people go and find him. And so that's another sense that as the book goes on and as the story, in a sense, spirals down, there's more and more of a sense of just freelancing. That even if they're trying to move in God's direction, they're sort of making it up as they go along. And whether Jeff is the right person, is this something the Lord accepts? It's not something that the question doesn't seem to get asked. Right. Uh, And I think we live in an age to talk about our culture that we can have a tendency to make it up and call it good. If we mean well, Um, that we kind of can freelance. Um, And I think, there's this whole spiritual, but not religious, um, you know, uh, I don't know, sentiment, I guess, in our culture where, and frankly, it's not a phrase I love. I know where it comes from. Uh, I don't think that's, it's not, I don't love the phrase for a number of reasons. Um, I think what people mean by that, the best sense of it is bad religion, arbitrary rules, harsh exclusionary religion i'm not that uh but i don't think if you sp- any sort of spirituality takes any sort of form at all it either it means nothing or you're religious because it means you're doing something with it and whatever you're doing with your spirituality is by definition religion we would call it religion in any other uh culture so you're probably more religious than you think everyone's probably a little more religious than they think it's just a matter of what does your religious practice look like Right. Um, but even for us uh, that we are Im- impacted by our culture, even for us, you know, I want to determine what service is. I want to determine what worship is. I want to determine what's the level of acceptable giving. Ooh. <laughs> you can cut that out, right, Jacob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So edit that out. Um, and in a sense, the sense of, I, I'm not because of God's grace. I'm not required to do anything for salvation, so I can just sort of make it up and determine what these things are, make it up and call it good. Mm-hmm. That you know that, but grace doesn't mean it doesn't matter. Grace doesn't mean freelancing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that we sort of rob ourselves of, you know, like here, here's a question. I don't know if you ever thought of this. Like, what if people? Here we are reading an account of part of Jephthah's life thousands of years later from a different culture. Mm -hmm. Um, What if people are going to read an account of my life, read an account of your life like a thousand years from now and it from a different culture? You know, where would they look at my life or your life and say, huh, where do you get that? Like, where did that come from? You know, right? I think we don't even ask ourselves the question because... You know, we're averse to rules, we're averse to, averse to heavy-handed religion, we're averse to authority in this whole sense of what does God think of my life? Mm-hmm. Am I living in a way that is concordant with the plan he has for me? I'm not sure we think about it very much. Uh, and you see that here as they descend. There's a There's just more of a freelancing. Well, let's do this, let's do that. And we see it most famously in, in Jephthah's life is he makes this vow. Mm. He's going to go and he's going to fight. Uh, and he says, okay, if, if you're know, if you with me, if you give me this victory, and it says the spirit of the Lord is on him. So the spirit comes on him like, okay, I'm going to, so it's God going to bring the victory again. It's not It's not Jephthah. But it doesn't mean that because I have God's spirit, just like all of New Testament Christians have God's spirit, it doesn't mean we can't mess up. And so he makes this vow that, um, you know, if you give me victory, then the first thing that comes out of my house, basically when I return, I will sacrifice to you. And, um, that is, uh, Obviously, not something God's spirit led him to do, I and mean, we can talk about exactly what that what that meant or not, but you know whatever it's uh chapter eleven um thirty and thirty one you have to made a vow to the Lord if you give the ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering um and God does give him the victory. Um, which is, there's nothing, there's not a lot there about the victory. Uh, he, you know, basically a couple of verses, you know, Jeff that defeats them, unlike some other of these accounts. And when he returns, it's his only daughter mm-hmm. meeting to coming out, dancing the sound of timbrels mm-hmm. or so on. Um, and you get this sense of, okay, what, like, what was that about? Like, like, what do you think when you read that? Yeah,
1: sure. My, my first thought is what was going to run from his home? <laughs> right. Or, like, leave his home? Was he hoping for, like, a dish to just randomly, like, roll yeah. out? It was, uh, yeah, it, surely. Right. It was going right. to be of it some substantial Maybe value. Maybe he was hoping his mother in law
0: would come up. <laughs> <like>, Hello, everybody. <laughs> too bad they didn't have texting back then Uh, (laughs) push grandma out the door first um it's so that it's so nonsensical right it's so counter what true worship of god is and should be and yet it is concordant with the culture. That's something that someone would have said to any of the other gods. Mm -hmm. It fit perfectly with the worship of all the other gods with which Jephthah has grown up. So he's become enculturated. He thinks, well, this is a thing God must like, or this is a thing maybe God likes, I'm gonna make this vow. Uh, And that's with the culture that he grew up and has impacted his worship of God. He's—it's hard for him to see the worship of God through any other lens than the lens of the culture he grew up with, mm-hmm. which is all these other gods. So it's faulty worship. It's a fault because it's a faulty picture of God. That this is the kind of thing God wants when it isn't—it's it's not true worship, right? Um, so, kind of to continue this theme the question I think for us is how does my faulty view of God mar my worship of him, mar my living for him? Um, what requirements uh, or qualities am I imposing on God that I've got to do this to make God happy? I've got to do this to live the way God wants me to live when God never actually requires any of these things. In fact, he's, he's looking over here at a bunch of stuff I'm not even thinking about because my culture has inculturated me. And, you know, so let's talk about that for a second. So worship, let's talk about corporate worship. Mm-hmm. So how does our culture influence corporate worship? Uh, yeah, first th- immediate thought is consumer. Yeah, so we, that's, we grow up in a culture that trains us to be a consumer. And so we, if we don't do anything else, if we don't do anything to sort of prepare our hearts or think about it another way, then we're going to, approach almost any uh, spiritual experience as a consumer would. Uh, You're going to approach this podcast. Is it worth my time? Uh, I liked the sermon. It kept me entertained. I liked the worship. It was this and this and this. And And so it's my experience of it is the arbiter of it. right? Oh, I didn't like the message. Maybe I'll like the podcast.
1: Or, oh, I enjoyed the the message so much and then the podcast just didn't hit.
0: And I think, so some of that, it's not like those are completely invalid considerations. I think my contention would be we grew up in a culture in which they're so pervasive that they influence in ways that we're not even aware of. Yeah, it's
1: criteria that has to be met for me to express experience right worship in which uh we were even talking a little bit earlier worship is not necessarily for me yes to experience and i'm at fault like i i admittedly i have sinned in that way like oh you know the message just didn't it didn't really do anything for me i didn't like the teaching style or even like, wow, I was just so distracted with uh, the bubblegum chewer, the ice cruncher, right. and oh, yeah. did you see yeah. the flicker yeah. in the right. camera yeah. or the
0: light yeah. or what? Yeah. You know
1: what, I yeah. I didn't yeah. get a whole lot out of that service. Yeah, yeah.
0: and I think that's the, the sense of what should worship, what is worship meant to be? And I think, am I conscious of being in God's presence? Mm -hmm. Am I conscious of him speaking to me, of his spirit seeking to transform me? And I think as we are professional church people, we want to facilitate that. Mm -hmm. But nobody can make that happen for you. No. Um, Nobody can ensure that to happen. Um, It's not something that you can be a consumer of. Right. That you have to step forward and be vulnerable and worship God. God and and then as you said god determines what true worship is god is the audience god is the consumer of worship we are not right we're not there f- I, we're not there for us for me like i'm not right yes i Maybe am you are but you're, you're there for you only in so far as you're there in god's presence and that's the there for you that right. he wants to see happen right and i think our culture impacts us in so many different ways that we're just not aware of. And I think like, for instance, Jephthah here worships, he thinks he's worships in a way that is appropriate, but his, the culture he grew up in where things are sacrificed to gods all the time right. has so enculturated him that, that he makes this rash vow, which just seems crazy and nonsensical to us. And yet, we probably do things that, again, if our, if our story was written down, you know, a thousand years from now, people would look at that and think, well, that's crazy and nonsensical. What were they thinking? Obviously, they knew that must have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just think one of the things that, as we, as a staff, talk about culture, we say this over and over, that culture is always training us, always moving us, always bringing us downstream. And unless we're aware of it and trying to swim in the opposite direction, you know we're sort of helpless to be you know there's nobody who's outside of culture, right. um, and so I think that's a sense of my own worship, and that Jeff the freelances he freelances worship in this vow and he does it in a rash sort of selfish way and you know you know Romans 12:1 and two is a passage that comes to mind where Paul writes therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this sense of that I am a living sacrifice, that every day I'm supposed to crawl up on the altar, and that daily spiritual rhythm that is augmented by my presence with God and corporate worship and my presence with my brothers and sisters and serving and giving and so on. That is my true and proper worship. And that I am warned not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the sense of the mind needs to be renewed and renewed and renewed, as we said, and we need to swim upstream or else we'll just flow down. And that the question isn't, I don't think this is happening to me. That, that's not the question. The question isn't, is it happening? It's where is it happening? how is it happening that we all have blind spots that i'm going to have them my whole life and the nature of blind spots is they i'm blind to them <laughs> that yeah. if you don't think you have a blind spot that's no guarantee that you certainly have them you're just blind to them that's what they are um and we therefore should be people not only of grace for other people who can't see their blind spots but grace for ourselves but humility humility and curiosity and you know, am I worshiping in spirit and truth, as Jesus says? And that's really, you know, am I holding that up to God's standard? Um, okay, so the story continues, and there are then objections from Ephraim, which is the uh, one of the main tribes on the, on the western side of the Jordan, the main part of Israel we think of now, that were, you know, probably partly valid, partly invalid. They wanted some glory, and so they want to then fight against Jephthah, and they do. There's a civil war. And Jephthah wins. And as they want to retreat back over the river, they capture this bridge, basically. And as the people are fleeing, they ask them to pronounce the word Shibboleth. And the idea is, if you are from... If you're from ephraim you can't say it correctly you can't pronounce it right and that's the the sign that you're not one of us and they kill them and so they just decimate <laughs> the whole tribe of ephraim right mm-hmm. and so here's another question as we're as we're getting towards the end of our podcast is what shibboleths do i have or do we have when do i say oh i know that about you therefore i knew 20 of the things about you sure or When have I been shibbolethed? When have I, oh, you're this? Now this happens to pastor. Oh, you're a pastor. So you must this and that and the other. Well, no, no, not really. Um, That we want to assign an identity to ourselves or others based on like one or two facts, based on politics or theology or family or story Mm -hmm. or race or ethnicity or sex or whatever it is. Oh, or you're a millennial. Wow. Well, I know that you, this and that and the other, which how does that feel for you, Jacob? Uh, I mean, yeah, sure.
1: I've been labeled a millennial <laughs> and stuff, but for anyone that probably knows me, I'm, I feel like I'm the furthest thing from, you know, the the, typical ster- millennial. the stereotypical, stereotypical millennial. Yeah. And
0: so stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason, right? sometimes they are accurate, but it's dishonor. If you've been shibboleth, do you think, well, you don't know me, right. even if they're Right. Even if they're saying something about you, that's true. You're Absolutely. like, who are you? Yeah, you don't yeah. know me. And we don't want to be known by a label, by one thing or another thing. And we shouldn't identify people. Like, we, if I know one thing about you, I don't I don't know very much about you.
1: Yeah, that, you know, yeah I, met, I met
0: you once. Oh, I know him. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And I think if you similarly, if you know one member of, oh, my, uh, you know, my friend is gay. Therefore, I know everything about all gay people. Well, that's sure. ridiculous. Yeah, um, but we still can do it. We want to simplify the world down into mm-hmm. where there's eight categories, and I kind of understand. Or there's, you know, there's these people in this group and that group, and like everyone kind of knows where they're coming from. And that's really dishonoring to people. It's sure. you feel dishonored when people say, "Oh, you're this, therefore that," or "You're a boomer," or "You're white," or "You're." an evangelical mm-hmm. all these things in are and some of those things are true of course mm-hmm. but even when they're true um no one wants to be treated everybody wants you, you want to be known and so tell me your story oh why do you what do you do you believe that oh why do you believe this and that's what people actually need and want and that and that's really what we need to understand other people and what that does is it really complicates my picture right. of the world.
1: Instead of leading them to where you think, right, they end right because that also right. uh, whoever you're engaging with, well right. that that's yeah. going to throw up the defensive. Yeah. You're barriers. not even like, listening to me. You don't know yeah, like yeah, right.
0: Yes. I think that's the thing that we want to know. I mean, I think religious people can sit back. Christians can sit back look at the scary world and label this people this and this people that and think we understand everybody Mm -hmm. and we really don't and that's why we really need to hear people's stories you know if your neighbor has a fill-in-the-blank politician sign in their yard you know one fact about them that's the only fact that you know about them if you don't know them and you can't assume 50 other facts Um, or whether they're good people or bad people or whether they're your kind of people or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's another thing our culture is very good at doing. I think that social media certainly impacts that as this small message, you know, you have to simplify and generalize. And I think it's bad and I think it's easy for us to fall into that. And it, everything becomes a trigger. Yeah, that's right. Then we're constantly triggered by this, that, or the other thing and oh this means okay that what that means is now we're on the slippery slope to that thing where it's like no it doesn't really mean that at all you're extrapolating you're filling in the blanks um and i think because you would think as christians because probably people assume things about us that may not be true that we wouldn't do that to other people but we certainly do do it to other people it's a place where our culture leads us yeah and so if we're not if we're not Uh, careful will kind of float down that stream and we will you know ask people to pronounce shibboleth or whatever the you know current cultural equivalent of that is um you know i think the age old st louis question where what high school did you go to yeah right oh that one that's a shibboleth question it's basically what socioeconomic strata did you grow up in that's the you know basically because it's a Uh, and that's part of it anyway. Uh, you know, what, where were you geography wise and where were you socioeconomically? Um, and oh, so then if I know that I know a hundred things about you which of course is not true.
1: Right. You feel like you can fill in a bit of a backstory so you don't actually have to start with a lot of that like small stuff right. that seems insignificant, but is actually very
0: significant well, to just, the human. You don't really know person. That's right. You don't really know me until you've, you know. And so I certainly, I mean, we've all had people make assumptions about us based on this, that, or the other thing. And uh, I do think our culture definitely pushes us in, in that direction. And that's something as a, you know, I've got people that, that each of these people that we're interacting with are made in God's image. They're precious to God. They have their own story. And we need to figure out how to do the work to understand their story on their terms. And as, we've, you know, as we say, I think the test of that is if you can describe a person's beliefs back to them to it in such a way that they say, yeah, no, that's basically what I believe. Mm-hmm. Now you can have an interaction based on who they are, and what they believe, not based on my own extrapolations or interpretations. And you, otherwise, you just talk past each other. And people, you know, we, we make assumptions that may or may not be true. Or we make assumptions that are true, but the other person hasn't gotten to the point where they see that yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's not even productive either. Yeah. Um, and so, you know here's a here's the uh that sometimes the word shibboleth is in our culture that this that's a shibboleth which is means it's a test it's a purity mm-hmm. test it's an identification test and we have them in our culture all the time
1: yeah the identifier made me think back um i've had a, a couple run-ins within the past month with strangers mm-hmm. um but talking with them for extended periods of time for whatever reason and it comes up oh you know uh where do you work or something mm-hmm. and, and and oh a church, mm-hmm. and then like, yeah. because they're reading. the The, the, re, the response yeah. to that is like, they they're like, oh, I, I should feel like guilty or shameful, and so like the the next thing after they hear that is, well, I haven't been to church, yeah. and like it becomes this like, and it's just, like, I'm, yeah. you don't need to confess to me, right? <laughs> like that's I'm not
0: God, first r- of all. Yeah, yeah, I do think there's a but there's a sense of it, that's kind of you know so church sometimes equates with. Oh, okay, now my God issues are going to come out and associate with you. So mm-hmm. there's another complicating factor. But yeah, once I find this about about you, then I'm assuming yeah. like you're judging me because I don't yeah. go to church or and whatever. The, and it's the last thing yeah. that you yeah. want.
1: You're like, right. no, 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 I'm not yeah. doing it. Or that.
0: just, oh, okay. What did I just say in the last you know five minutes? <laughs> did I say anything <laughs> that it would be to, you know, people like, yeah, and I just, it's that sense of um, it's a shibboleth, basically. Uh, and then we all have them, and I just think one of the things, one of the mistakes, we can, one of the ways we can be conformed and not transformed, is to fall into this easy identification factor uh, where you look at somebody and they look a certain way, or they're from a certain place, or they have a sign in their yard, or whatever it might be. Um, when we are called to, uh, we are called to to love in Christ's name, to honor them as a image bearer and to get to know them as, a, as an individual. Uh, and so, and that's where we'll end it uh, as we're coming to the close of this podcast. Um, we've just got a couple more uh, in Judges, uh, I believe, and uh, the spiral will continue uh, down to some degree. Uh, and then I think we're going to, at the end of Judges, we might actually finish this off with one on Ruth, the very hopeful uh, story of Ruth that is a good counterpoint because it happens in the midst of all this darkness when it seems like nothing in the big meta story is going right. There's this little gem of grace and God's purpose and God's rede- redeemer coming through Ruth that happens in the midst of all of this stuff that God's purpose is still God is not thwarted God's plan of redemption is not thwarted uh, and that's that that is a good note for us that even if we feel like at the moment our life is coming out of some chapter of the book of Judges, that God is not thwarted, God's purposes are not thwarted, and we can trust him. And even if he doesn't seem anywhere around, uh, that he does look upon us and he does love us and he is waiting to give us the life he has for us if we're ready to take hold of it. Uh, and so with that, that note of grace, have a, a grace-filled week. God's grace be with you. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions
1: podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.